It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Good evening. The opinions and statements voiced by our guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of this network. Enjoy the shows. You are listening to WBHM Digital Broadcasting, Birmingham, Alabama. Headline edition, July 8, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. Army officers say the missile, found sometime last week, has been inspected at Roswell, New Mexico, and sent to Wright Field, Ohio, for further inspection. Now historic films made in the spring of 1948 and just released show Enoetok preparing for heavily guarded and still largely secret tests of new atomic weapons. The test's purpose is to measure atomic effects on thousands of different materials, 30,000 tons of them, not, as at Bikini, to prove military effectiveness. San Francisco police say that nine persons have been arrested in a narcotics raid on the headquarters of the Grateful Dead, a widely popular singing group. Two members of the group, Rod McKernan and Robert Weir, and their business manager, Danny Rifkin, have been booked on suspicion of possessing narcotics. Three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. 32 minutes past the hour. Liftoff on Apollo 11. Tower cleared. Here we got a roll program. Neil Armstrong reporting their roll and pitch program, which puts Apollo 11 on a proper heading. I'm going to step off the limb now. That's one small step for man. One giant leap for mankind. Well, strange lights are causing a viral buzz on YouTube. Could we have caught extraterrestrial activity on a recent newscast? Brandon Arroyo investigates. As the newscast ended, the controversy began back on September 26th. What is that light shining in the back of the dark night sky? With coverage reaching all the way back to 1948, for over 70 years, Fate magazine has brought you reports of the strange and unknown, all of them true. Now, 
Fate Magazine Radio is carrying on that tradition of setting the standard in paranormal talk radio as we report and discuss some of the most mysterious and perplexing phenomena imaginable in this strange world of ours. Now, here is your host of Faith Magazine Radio, Kat Hobson. Good evening. Welcome to Faith Mag Radio here on WBHM Digital Broadcasting out of Birmingham, Alabama. I am Kat Hobson, and I am very proud to be the voice of Fate, Fate Magazine. We have been in existence since 1948, and I just love being able to bring such fantastic people to continue to represent the glory of this magazine. You know, Fate Mag Radio has not been around since then, but I am just following in some pretty great footsteps. I have got a lot of people that went before me doing this who have done a fantastic job and moved on to exciting things. And I am excited about tonight. I have a guest that I admire greatly. He is really a brilliant journalist. He is a podcaster and he is a content producer he focuses on all the things that I love. If I could just get him ghost hunting, we would have this thing just completely wrapped up. I don't think he's doing that yet. But I am just thrilled to let you know that he is Open Minds Production. He has a subscription YouTube channel, Open Minds TV. He has the Rojas Report live there. He is Open Minds UFO Radio. He writes for HuffPost. And does a good job of that. He is just really all about anything science, UFO, sci-fi. Well, that kind of goes without saying. And space. And I love space. I am thrilled to welcome Alejandro Rojas. Alejandro, thank you so much for joining me tonight. Well, thank you so much for your kind words in my introduction, and uh, I have uh, ghost hunted. Have you now? Quite a bit, actually, because uh, I, when I first was writing, I was trying to do a lot of the paranormal, and then I ended up focusing in, on, on UFOs, but uh, yeah, I used to go hunt the ghosts as well. In fact, I, uh, Ben Hansen and I, because of course he's on television on the Travel Channel hunting yes. ghosts. We did a ghost hunt at the Roswell Museum one year after the uh, annual event. How did that go? It went well. It was a lot of fun. It was interesting. Uh, it's a very interesting building because it looks like kind of a boring, you know, old uh, theater. But there's actually, it was several buildings that were kind of encompassed in one building. So you have these areas that are kind of like alleyways and this old shop uh in there so it was really interesting and ben he uh when we started we were all sitting in this kind of conference room where it's a presentation room and uh we were sitting there and he sat down to kind of explain what we were going to do he kind of set the agenda for our ghost hunt and right when he starts talking he's like did you guys see that but of course we all were facing him 
Uh, but down the hallway, he said he saw a uh, apparition kind of like uh, go across the hallway as if it was just walking, you know, from one room to another. However, where it walked into, there was no door there, just a wall. So, yeah, he says he he's pretty sure he saw some sort of uh, something. Well, I would trust him implicitly. I think he's yeah. brilliant. Me too. So, I love Ben. I like him a lot too. I have not been able at any event I've gone to been able to do his night vision tour because he mm. sells out so fast. Yeah. It's astounding. People yeah. totally enjoy that. I did not know until recently that um Melinda does night vision tours also, sky tours. So mm. Next time I'm in Sedona, I'm going to find somebody with that equipment. Yeah, I think that's where play. Melinda is, I think, in uh, Sedona doing her tours. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's something that I would really enjoy. But Ben Hansen is, um, he's very professional. I admire that. You don't, uh, you don't always see that. With all the things that he's done, you know, because some of them have been very adventurous. Yeah, but he's he professional. Mm -hmm. And he's a great person. He's, he works very well with people. He's very patient. He's not the kind to, uh, you know, he rarely runs into um, trouble, you know, uh, as far as getting at odds with anybody. Uh, oh, and so, yeah, and he's super intelligent. He's great. Well, I know that the few times that I have had a chance to talk with him, he was very informative. He will, he will just be there until you finish that conversation and your questions are answered. Because I, I really would like to get a piece of his equipment, and I'm going to, but it was <laughs> just pretty tough to get yeah. to him. Uh, and, was... you know, this kind of speaks to his professionalism and uh, his perspective in that at the Congress this last year, he had a new device that mm -hmm. he just loved. And, but it was only around, I think there was a, a $300 one and then an upgraded one that was around 500 something like that. Well, the night vision, it's hard to get one under $1,000. And, True. you know, the best one he has is somewhere around two to 3000 um, But... You know, because he's an honest person, when people would come up and want to purchase one of the more expensive ones, he would always he he would tell them, you know, actually, though, I have this new one here and it's much less expensive and it's almost as good as my best ones. And uh, so he sold a lot more scopes, just didn't make as much uh, because he he's an honest person. So he was selling, you know, this great <laughs> deal that he had uh, as opposed to selling the more expensive ones. Well, I'll tell you that there were probably a lot of people that were going to go back and get that more expensive one, too. Mm, or yeah. buy more product because he was so forthcoming and honest. Right, right. Good definitely. deeds do not go unpunished. Um, you know, the saying, no good deed goes unpunished. That is yeah. not true. I agree you, with you. You get out what you put out. Mm -hmm. I totally agree with you. So 
That was just one of the many brilliant people that you had at the International UFO Congress last year. I, I was really knocked out by your lineup. And I went back looking at your other events, and you are just always, just always talent-laden. I bet people are just knocking on the door wanting to present there. They do, and it's great because uh, it's become kind of a, uh, when you're someone presenting, it's kind of a, one of the places where you want to be to showcase your work. And uh, because typically uh, I'm covering news in this field every every week, you know, on a regular basis, I have visibility to who's doing what uh, as far as something interesting. And our goal with getting speakers is always trying to bring you know, the best information out, even if it's people that you've never heard of before, which is kind of counter to a lot of the conferences. A lot of conferences bring the same person or the, whoever's the most popular in the field. Uh, and what we do is different. We don't have the two lectures at the same time, only one running at the same time, because we don't want you to go to the popular person. We want you to see, you know, the high, the work of someone you may not have ever uh, noticed before. And if you had a choice, you know, you'd go with someone that you knew. And what's great about that is, is it's really an event that often um, not adds much these days because there's so much going on, but uh, it often would set the pace for the year. You know, it was a, the research people would be interested in. And, and we have given a lot of people opportunity to showcase their work and then to become a lot more popular in the field when people appreciate that work. So that's usually my perspective. And then my girlfriend, Karen, who actually runs the conference, um, my significant other, she uh, also is looking for um, not necessarily even just the people who've done the best research, but people out there who people don't know, who yes. may be doing work that's good work. They just don't know them. And so you probably met some of those people at the I conference. Did. So we're really proud to kind of introduce new stuff. There's always the fear, does this hurt, you know, the amount of people coming to the conference because uh, we're not having the most popular people. We're trying to get the best information. And it may in a little, but we're also known for, I think people have learned to trust us that if we've got someone on our speaker list, you can trust that, you know, it's someone that's going to be worth seeing. I will agree with that. You know, I was, I'm actually fairly new to the UFO, UAP research. I, I started my shows, um, Paranormal Experience was five and a half years ago, strictly spiritual paranormal, ghost hunting. Mm -hmm. I... I went to um, the Ozark Mountain UFO Conference and was <laughs> enlightened there, boy. And then I was credentialed for um, the very first Alien Con, which oh, great. was, it kind of exploded, right? Mm -hmm. But I've done several other events. Uh, I did another um, Alien Con and some other events, and... I will I will say that my experience 
in Phoenix at your International UFO Congress probably was the most informative. I was so well educated by the people that I chose to see. I ran into old friends and made new ones. There's something for everyone there. Some of the new technology was eye-opening for me. A lot of it applies to mm -hmm. all of the, the work that I do. And I found that to be kind of neat, too. Some of the experiences that you had. Um, I was particularly struck by Charlotte Mann. Mm -hmm. who, Great. She was brilliant. And somebody that if we live closer, I would love to just stop in and take her to lunch one day. <laughs> I mean, she was fantastic and well-spoken. Mm -hmm. So She was definitely an example of someone who... Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Has been out there, um, and she's, she's been coming to our event for a long time. Uh, of course, she has a very important background in that she's like the, the granddaughter of, you know, someone who was attached to an important uh, event. Uh, that some researchers write about in this field, but she is, you know, she, no one was really talking to her and she kind of expressed that to me. She was kind of fed up to be honest. And she's like, you know, there are people telling my story, but it's my story and nobody mm -hmm. wants to hear from me about my story. And I don't feel that the people who are telling my story are necessarily representing it completely. Um, and so, I thought, you know what, that makes a lot of sense. So uh, there was, that was a no-brainer for me that this is someone that uh, needs to have, you know, their own platform. And she was kind of surprised by that uh, a bit because, uh, and happily, of course, because no one else would give her a chance to tell her own story. So I wasn't sure how it would go. I knew it would be significant and important because it's fair for her to to share her, you know, for people to hear her voice and hear uh, from the first hand what it was like to, to be a granddaughter of, of this, someone who, you know, had been part of a potentially crashed UFO event and stuff. And she seemed to be well-received. People, uh, she certainly isn't like a lecturer and uh, she went off script essentially and kind of did her own thing, which was great, but people could really get a sense of what kind of person she was and, um, you know, hear a, a more, I think, unique perspective. And uh, so, yeah, it, it was great that she was well-received, and it's great to, to hear that you enjoyed that as well. 
Well, I did not realize that she had not been sharing her own experience. She did a great job. Yeah. But everyone she really did. did. And, you know, you had Calvin Parker. Who, mm-hmm. It was so funny. I had read his book. His publisher had reached out to me. And when I found them, or found him, I found Wynette everywhere. But you couldn't, you couldn't hold Calvin down. So mm-hmm. I found both of them together. And I said, thank God there's someone here who sounds like me. This is great. <laughs> yeah. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, we forged a friendship. And that was also a notorious story. But I think it's probably one of the most well-documented abduction cases anywhere. So yeah, that it's was interesting. Really too. interesting case. And his story is interesting because he was someone who fled the limelight. He took off as a young man. Uh, I think he was 17 or 18 when when mm-hmm. the event occurred where, you know, he was fishing with a co-worker, uh, an older gentleman, friend of the family, when they saw this craft and these creatures come out of it while they're fishing and um, something happened. And then, you know, he then spoke with the police and the police that tried to trick him and left the room but kept the recorder going and heard they were genuinely stressed about whatever had happened and uh, when it hit the news calvin parker left town yes. he left his family everything because he couldn't take the pressure of this media spectacle that that his event had uh produced and he's only now coming forward and there was only a short window uh so philip mantle the publisher of the book that you mentioned he uh got calvin to say to you know he, he essentially told him philip i know very well and he told Calvin, you got to do the UFO Congress. And this was about a year prior to the Congress, next Congress occurring. And uh, so at least until, because Calvin didn't want to do interviews and stuff. And he said, at least until the Congress, please do interviews and some conferences and come out and talk to, tell people your story. And Calvin said, all right. So there was about a year period of time. And we scheduled him, you know, he's one of our first to, to get scheduled because you know, that was a no brainer from Philip. And, uh, and then he did some other conferences and he did some interviews and he's just so brilliant. He's so entertaining. He's so down to earth and he's someone you just, uh, talk about a natural entertainer. Yes. He's funny. Uh, but he's also uh, well-spoken in that he can get his point across and, um, you know, he's got his little sayings and things that help him, uh, get his his ideas across yes. and but he's also very kind so even though he's joking around about things I don't think he comes across as not taking things seriously or like he's making fun of anything he's just using entertaining ways to uh, get his point across and so he's he's act he's incredible he everybody had such a great time talking with him and getting to know him or uh, the other speakers had a great time on the panels they are, were on with him. So, uh, yeah, he was wonderful. Yes. Well, we have to take just a really short break here. So we will be back right after this. And thank you, everyone, for being here. And I'm getting your questions. We will share them. See you on the flip side. You're listening to WBHM. 
Digital Broadcasting, the best in paranormal talk, only on Paranormal Experience Radio, broadcasting live out of Birmingham, Alabama. Since 1948, Fate Magazine has brought you reports of the strange and unknown, all of them true. Fate Radio is carrying on that tradition, bringing you the unusual, macabre, strange, and bizarre. Join host Cat Hobson Sunday nights from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on WBHM Digital Broadcasting. You are listening to WBHM Digital Broadcasting, the best in paranormal talk only on Paranormal Experience Radio. Broadcasting live, live, live out of Birmingham, Alabama. Oh, come on. I'm Southern, but... Um, nope. That'll do. Hello. I am Kat Hobson, host of Paranormal Experience here on WBHM Digital Broadcasting out of Birmingham, Alabama. I enjoy having guests from all areas of the paranormal, from ghosts to ufology to cryptids and beyond. You'll find some of the best researchers in their fields bringing you some great information. Join me on Wednesday nights from 8 to 10 p. Eastern here on WBHM Digital Broadcasting. We are confident that none of our hosts are possessed. Being repossessed a few times, that might be a different story. You are listening to WBHM Digital Broadcasting, Birmingham, Alabama. Thank you for listening to WBHM Digital Broadcasting out of Birmingham, Alabama. The time is 23 minutes after the hour. Welcome back to Fate Mag Radio here on WBHM Digital Broadcasting. I am so glad you're here because this is a fantastic, fantastic guest. I'm so glad to be able to welcome Alejandro Rojas, who is pretty much everything UFO, science, sci-fi. He is just all about space we had some things that we were going to be discussing and before we get to that we already have somebody who wants to know more about you so the question is do you ever tell your personal story and what is it if you don't mind talking about it as in what drew you to this kind of work okay sure uh really so when I, I'm asked this question, I usually kind of go back to um, childhood and growing up. So um, I was always like into math and science in school. And in fact, my first college major was aerospace engineering. I, I essentially wanted to be a rocket scientist. Um, also, though, you know, uh, being uh, mostly Mexican-American, uh, my family, you know, they're kind of open to more ideas and also uh, identifying with kind of some of my Native American roots. Uh, my family is 
mostly from the San Luis Valley in Colorado, uh, and uh, where there's a you know lot his lot of history of. I was just going to say, there's your answer right there. <laughs> yeah, so it <laughs> was kind of a combination. Extent. So I was open to uh, the different possibilities out there and the different ideas out of respect for for that ancestry. At the same time. There's a pragmatic side of being interested in science. And I never saw a, a hard delineation personally. I didn't see one as so different from the other. Um, in fact, I kind of feel like the, the term paranormal is really just, it's, it's all normal. It's all part of, na- part of nature. It's just something we don't understand yet. And yes. uh, so that's kind of how that happened from that combination of uh being open and then also my interest in space and science uh so then that kind of moving in i changed from an engineering major because i was just kind of more of a social person uh to a journalism major but still with an interest in these areas uh broadcast in particular and i just saw that there was a lot of credible information that wasn't being you know you would watch the television documentaries or you would read the occasional article about this topic. And the 90s and early 2000s was not a good time for UFOs. People were very skeptical, mm-hmm. a lot of tongue-in-cheek type of stuff. And they weren't cre- covering the most credible and the most important cases, I felt. Not only that, when you look into government files or Project Blue Book, there were a lot of unsolved cases. And those cases were... Uh, they were thoroughly researched. Many of those cases were military or law enforcement cases. And the individuals who were witnesses or investigators uh, felt that they experienced or the people, the witnesses experienced something um, extraordinary, something mm-hmm. uh, a technology or something that seemed intelligent that was beyond our own. And that's always been the case. There's never been, even though the press departments have kind of sold us the story that they were done with it. They washed their hands in 1969 because they had done all the investigation they could and couldn't find anything. That's not true. Really. There was, there's always been this fight inside where there's been a lot of people who uh, want to look into it and have been looking into it, Mm -hmm. uh, especially now we know uh, and taking it serious. So I really had this drive and it really hit me like especially in the uh, late 1990s, early 2000s, just to dive into, read every book, uh, you know, at least the credible books. And there weren't as many books then either, really, on the topic. Uh, I became a field investigator because I wanted to talk to the people directly who were, uh, you know, having these experiences. So I joined MUFON and became a field investigator. And fortunately, the Mutual UFO Network, MUFON's headquarters, we're in Colorado where I grew up in a suburb of Denver. So I was able to get involved with the headquarters there and meet some of the incredible people who ran and, and founded that organization. And eventually I became their spokesperson and doing a lot of the PR for them. So that was my drive. This was my beat. And uh, this is kind of an interesting time for me because my goal was to get uh, who I saw as colleagues and mentors the mainstream media to take this topic seriously because and to demonstrate that there was a serious aspect to this. And I felt, you know, I met with a lot of success representing MUFON. We were able to talk to uh, 
pretty much every major cable network. I was able to get on the network and talk about different topics. And when you, it's not that they're seeking to, it looks like they're seeking to ridicule the subject often, but it's not the case. It's just, they don't have anything substantial. If you give them something credible, they typically love to report that. But if you don't, if you don't meet that high bar, then they're going to ridicule it as opposed to just kind of say, well, maybe, um, which would be more fair, but because of this nervousness and because they don't want to seem as though, uh, you know, lose their own credibility, you know, that they would make fun of it, but you do get somewhere when you serve them up something credible. And I think the recent years have proven that. And that's, what's weird about recently is that all of a sudden my major goal of getting the mainstream to see this as something credible happened, you know, in December 2017, when the New York Times covered this story about uh, To the Stars and and this guy, Lou Elizondo, running this program for the Pentagon investigating UFOs. And now it's a a very serious story. I mean, we've got the Senate Intelligence Committee asking for more information about it. So so it's a different world we're in, and it's really interesting. um, And uh, it's a lot of fun. (laughs) <laughs> it is so hopefully that fun. answers the question. I think it does. I I am so fascinated by the request by, well, it doesn't sound much like a request. It sounds like a do this as opposed right. to what do you think, right? Mm-hmm. That, um, that Senator Rubio put into, and basically it's an appropriate. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Creations bill. And mm-hmm. I am very interested because I saw some. You're the perfect person for this, by the way. I saw something saying that Whitley Stryber had indicated that this had been tabled. I went back through the bill. I went through updates, searches. I did not find anything indicative that this has been tabled. Neither have I. And I don't know if Whitley, because I saw that as well, and I was curious what he meant. And I'm I'm, I'm curious if maybe he didn't mean the word tabled. Uh, Maybe he thought that meant putting it forth, the idea, or making the request as opposed to um, it being tabled, like postponed. I haven't seen that at all either. Uh, so I'm not sure what he was talking about. Um, and, uh, I, luckily I've been in touch with, uh, some of my mainstream media friends. Like I did an interview, uh, for my Rojas reports, um, with Brian Bender, who's a special, uh, senior correspondent for Politico. 
Mm -hmm. Formerly, he was the defense and space editor there. And this is a guy that spends his time in much of it in D.C. um, working with and talking with and hobnobbing at conferences with uh, members of leadership, military leadership, uh, defense contractors, and politicians. So on a regular basis, he's communicating with these people. In fact, he gave me the heads up uh, months ago that Marco Rubio's office was working on something. Uh, but he asked me to keep that under my hat because at the time, you know, he felt, uh, first of all, he didn't want to compromise any uh, potential confidences that he had with uh, the people he had talked to. But uh, the other thing was, is, you know, he didn't want, he's kind of interested. So he wants his question to be asked as well. So he didn't want them to get scared away at all. Um, so it, I, I think it's going forward. I mean, there's conversations that are continuing on at different levels as to what may be happening and, and what are the circumstances. The person who has probably the most information, of course, it's all of the many of the members of To The Stars, uh, including yes. Elizondo, who we talked about earlier, and, and Tom DeLong, and but mostly this guy Chris Mellon, who's uh, one of the lead advisors. And if anybody, any of your listeners have watched History Channel's Unidentified, he's one of the guys in that show because he's an extremely important role at To The Stars. And his background is really unique. And I'd like to kind of get into that because I, I don't think anybody fully kind of gets into it. So his background, he's, he's a former United States Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Intelligence. Um, he was also a security and information, uh, worked in security and information operations. And he was the staff director of the United States Select Committee on Intelligence. So what these roles are is his roles in many of these positions, especially with the Senate uh, Intelligence Committee, is, and this is why this is really happening there, is his role used to be for uh, congressmen and working with the White House to oversee or at least to have a view of the black projects out there, what the military is doing, uh, what Mm -hmm. the intelligence communities are doing. And it was his job to put together reports, and then also to get the uh, senators' answers, uh, questions answered. So, for instance, if they wanted to know about this special access program, which is the actual name of a a black project, essentially, a special access program, um, there's also the deeper kind of secretive ones, the unacknowledged special access programs. But still, all of these, the Intelligence Committee, the, the Gang of Aid, as they say, are privy to that information. They're supposed to be privy to that information. And so he has an incredible view into, you know, that world, the the world of secrets, the world of uh, the top secret sort of things that are going on. Um, So he's the perfect person to be an advisor to get something like this going forward. Uh, The other significant thing about Chris Mellon is his last name is Mellon. And that means the Mellon family. So some of you might have a credit card in your wallet right now that says Mellon Bank on it because, you know, it's one of the largest banking families uh, in the history of the United States. So they're a very, very important family, which adds to, of course, his uh, his ability to 
to access, you know, people and uh, things that others can't. He's extremely well connected. The other thing is, is when he worked at uh, with the Senate Intelligence Committee, he was working for essentially um, Jay Rockefeller, uh, who's of the Rockefeller family, another important family. But Jay Rockefeller is also the nephew of Lawrence Rockefeller. Yes. That's important because Lawrence Rockefeller was really into the UFO and pa other paranormal topics. He funded a lot of different projects out there uh, into cattle mutilations and, and other into crop circles and other projects out there. And some of the people you probably had on your show um, may have like uh, Chris, uh, Chris O'Brien got mm -hmm. some money from them. Uh, Nancy Talbot got money from um, them yes and uh on the crop circle and uh and some others but you know there there's a big ufo project that he did essentially he wanted to put together the best cases into a document called the rockefeller document uh which uh, it was an executive summary on ufos and at the same time, there was another guy who had another the same idea who wanted to do it. And it eventually actually became an issue. And that was Dr. Stephen Greer. So they ended up working together with a lot of the UFO organizations to create this document and compile all this information and great interviews. Um, eventually, Stephen Greer broke apart from that group. And there's a little bit of fighting between them. Uh, and Greer went off to do his own executive summary and then, you know, record a bunch of great interviews and, and get those out. And then the Rockefeller group did did their thing. But he only printed a thousand of these reports. And his goal was to get that to his friends and influencers to make something happen, including the Clintons, who he knew very well. Um, and in fact, there are photos of Hillary Clinton and Lawrence Rockefeller uh, at one of his ranches kind of walking around. And in the photos, you could see he's giving um, Hillary Clinton a book from Paul Davies that's about talking about, you know, extraterrestrial life and what aliens might be, you know, their philosophies or thoughts and things might be. Um, so there's no doubt there is some conversation there. And, and there's been paperwork that's been revealed that uh, it was essentially through Hillary's office that uh, Lawrence would work with to get, you know, work on potentially drafting some some rules around how do we tackle the UFO issue. Nothing ever came of it. But uh, so Chris has this, Mellon has its history in UFOs. We didn't really know that until maybe five or six years ago when uh, Leslie Kane wrote an article for the Huffington Post about this. And it was kind of shocking, uh, you know, and then he's had a good relationship with Leslie Kane ever since. It's one of the major reasons why she was one of the main reporters in the New York Times article to break all of this, this story. But another reason, uh, another indication of how significant it is and how influential Chris Mellon has been is that, uh, that Chris Mellon wrote an article in the Hill around a year ago or so. And he, he essentially wrote about how this topic needs to be taken seriously. You know, now the Navy is, uh, briefing the Congress and, and other interested parties on this topic. And he advised that the Senate Intelligence Committee request a report. Exactly what's happening right now. 
and ask that, you know, the services and all the agencies provide information and that there be uh, some place designated to be a central kind of hub of this information to coordinate it so that kind of like the DNI, the, the uh, intelligence world, where instead of all these groups getting their own information and not sharing it, you know, sharing that. He suggested, however, that most of this information is classified, so it would probably have to be a classified report. Uh, what's interesting about what happened in the last couple of days, as you mentioned, right. is that uh, it has been revealed that the Senate Intelligence Committee, headed by Marco Rubio, has made this request. However, in their request, and it's very similar to what Chris Mellon had suggested, and it does. It's very exhaustive in that we want to know what every agency knows. They even called out the FBI. Yes, um, which most people don't know. Right. Aren't involved on in investigations. And uh, and we can get into that, too, why that might be the case. Chris Mellon has just, I think, as of today, offered uh, some information as to why that probably happened. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the only difference with this recent request by the Senate Intelligence Committee is that they are asking for a public. They made it very clear. They said, we realize that a lot of this information is classified. There can be a classified component to this report. However, regardless of that, we want a public portion. We want a public report. Yes. So they want an aspect of this report to be public facing so that, you know, we can answer to the public, give the public some information about what's going on. And that's really, really important. And I think that uh, it seems for, for Chris Mellon that uh, that's a plus. I think it wasn't necessarily that he didn't feel that was the right way to go. I think he, he just thought maybe that was too much of a reach, that that or was maybe too much to ask too for. too ambitious, yeah. Exactly, a little too ambitious. So uh, he seems to be very pleased that that was in there, and, and so is everybody. Um, and it's also interesting, too, there's another aspect to this that's really interesting, and that is kind of the story of Luis Elizondo, because... Mm -hmm. While he was in, he says he he resigned because he felt that he was trying to get up the ladder to tell people, hey, this is an important thing. There are many people who take uh, UFOs or unidentified aerial phenomena, the term they're using in Washington, UAPs. There's many people who take this all very seriously. Uh, and there are many people who have had important experiences. Um, yes. This Nimitz, of course, situation in 2005 with the jets chasing this tic-tac object was one of the examples. But he couldn't get it up the ladder. They wouldn't let it get to his uh, acquaintance and friend. He had served with General Mattis, but they wouldn't let him get it to the Secretary of Defense, General Mattis. And so he couldn't really get it up the line. Uh, Chris Mellon has shared that, you know, they Chris Mellon got involved and was like, OK, Lou, I'm going to help you get this up the ladder. But they couldn't do it. They were stonewalled. So they decided, we've got to take this public. And so that's what they did. And now, you know, it was taken very seriously. It's been a huge splash. The DOD has not been very cooperative, uh, meaning I'm the shocked, Pentagon. I'm shocked, I say. <laughs> yeah, surprise. <laughs> and, you know, and it, yeah, it's no surprise because Lou kind of did an end run around him. He's like, fine, you don't yes. want to get it out. I'll get it out regardless. 
surprisingly, the Navy's been very open. The Navy's been very cooperative with uh, to the stars and Chris Mellon and, and unidentified the television program and Lou Elizondo. They were first to say, yep, those videos they shared are real. They yeah. do represent unidentified objects. We take UAPs very seriously. Um, so they've been very cooperative where the DOD's kind of tried to poo-poo the whole thing, but they yes. failed miserably because everybody involved with this program has come out. Harry Reid, who helped start the program, uh, the the uh, technical people like the scientists involved with doing the investigations have all come out. Witnesses all coming out and saying, yes, this is all real. This is we did work with all of these people. This is all on, you know, on the up and up. So the DOD's well, credibility on, on all of this is kind of really taken sketch. quite a bit of damage, <laughs> really, as far as this topic Very goes. Very sketchy. Well, you know, and, you know it's, I'm mm -hmm. sorry. I was oh, just no, going to say it's a, another example of paying no attention to the man behind the curtain. Right. And, you know. uh, <laughs> and you know, that, that kind of metaphor works, especially in this, because the, the man behind the curtain turned out to be kind of, you know, a chump, <laughs> you yes. know, kind of a, a con man. And, you know, the man behind the curtain in the way of the DOD, don't pay attention to this, was, you know, false. They were, they've really been giving information that was spurious, that wasn't correct. Yes. Uh, and that's been borne out over time. So the vindication is huge. So not only uh, has the military been supportive, but now the Senate Intelligence Committee and there's an aspect to this that that Chris feels is that they are kind of they are saying, hey, you're supposed to brief us on what you guys are up to. Why did we have to read about this in The New York Times? Why go. weren't you keeping us informed on this? And well, that's have, kind of that's mm -hmm. kind of blowing up all over them. Mm hmm. And we have a, to go to a break. OK. And. I have questions for you on this, and you probably already know what they are, but we're still going to ask them. <laughs> so, Great. everyone, we will be right back. This is our short break, and we will see you on the flip side. You're listening to WBHM. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. Ch -ch -ch -chumba. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Ch -ch -ch -chumba. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Digital broadcasting. The best in paranormal talk. Only on Paranormal Experience Radio. Broadcasting live out of Birmingham, Alabama. Oh, come on. I'm Southern, but... Um, nope. 
That'll do. Hello. I am Kat Hobson, host of Paranormal Experience here on WBHM Digital Broadcasting out of Birmingham, Alabama. I enjoy having guests from all areas of the paranormal, from ghosts to ufology to cryptids and beyond. You'll find some of the best researchers in their fields bringing you some great information. Join me on Wednesday nights from 8 to 10 p. Eastern here on WBHM Digital Broadcasting. Since 1948, Faith Magazine has brought you reports of the strange and unknown, all of them true. Faith Radio is carrying on that tradition, bringing you the unusual, macabre, strange, and bizarre. Join host Cat Hops Sunday nights from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on WBHM Digital Broadcasting. Listening to WBHM Digital Broadcasting, the best in paranormal talk, only on Paranormal Experienced Radio, broadcasting live out of Birmingham, Alabama. Welcome back to Fate Mag Radio. I am so glad y'all are here because this is this is good information. It's current. It's real. This is happening in our country, in our government. And while there are a lot of distractions that have been in play for decades on this subject, it is something that that the powers that be are are finding to be leaking out the edges. It's seeping out under the doors. It's just there's too much and too many people who are very knowledgeable about this, including... Alejandro, and I'm so glad you're here because I have been dying to talk about this topic. You know, you were talking about the the group that they were going to be putting together to have an umbrella for all of this information coming out from all the different agencies. Uh, This is going to be the UAP task force, right? Yeah, that's what's interesting. So it actually has a name. Yeah, which is so interesting. And and it kind of gets back to to the point I was making with uh, Elizondo is that talk about vindication. You know, this guy, uh, and I've gotten to know him very well, actually. Uh, and we go through periods of time where we're talking quite frequently. But he resigns and, you know, puts it all on the line. And it was really difficult for him. He put himself in kind of financial jeopardy. Yes. Uh, his family, he kind of upended because uh, they were in D.C., came out to California. Uh, his uh, And what he didn't expect was there were colleagues that were supporting him and this move on the inside who shied away, ran away from it because they got afraid of the pushback um, and weren't there to help him. He also, you know, then, of course, the DOD, I don't think he thought the DOD would kind of try to smear him as much as they did, essentially saying everything he told the New York Times was false. Yes. Um, luckily, they that really that's slammed all, him. Yeah, uh, pretty much all of it's turned out to be untrue, including this UAP task force thing we'll, we'll get to in just a sec. But um, 
So, and then the UFO community, he was so excited to share this information with the UFO community when he first came out. And I had warned him, you know, there's a lot of people with really, uh, really hardened worldviews. They see things differently and they might not totally be receptive to the information you want to share. And he's like, well, they should love it because I'm, I'm here trying to do what they want to do. I'm just like them. I want to get the information out. And uh, but they weren't, you know, a lot of the community wasn't very nice, really coming at him hardcore. And surprisingly, there was even contingencies who were siding with the DOD and saying, look, the DOD saying this stuff, you've got to be lying. And it really took a toll on him more so than than people would know. And so it was a really hard road. But now, fortunately, all of those things that he was accused of lying about have essentially proven um, and he's been proven true. And what's interesting is just a few weeks ago, one of the things he said in the New York Times story was that even though funding, funding for the program in the Pentagon to investigate UFOs ended in 2012, he said, I continue to do research. I was conti- I was allowed to continue to, the, to run the program. And then the DOD said, no, that's not true. Well, they had to admit just a few weeks ago that, yes, yes, indeed, they do UAP research. There's multiple agencies that are involved with it. And, you know, Roger Gassel is a researcher who got them to answer these questions. And they said, and and we do take serious these incursions uh, into, uh, you know, this, uh, this restricted airspace. And Roger Gassel said, wait, you know, incursions, that's one thing. But I'm, I'm asking about actual UAP investigation. And they say, yes, we do mean, you know, researching UAPs in that. And so they admitted that he was right, that there was this agency. So then this bill happens and the bill cites the Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Task Force. What yeah. a name. By the ONI. Now, uh, that's the Office of Naval Intelligence. Lou Elizondo worked for the Office of the Secretary of Defense, and that's where the program existed while he was running it. And uh, the indications are from the people that uh, the people I've been talking to in the know is that the OSD is kind of still where it resides, but now there are all these other agencies involved more recently, and that the ONI has kind of taken over. And why the ONI? Uh, I've gotten different perspectives on that, and uh, including Brian Bender to, with Politico recently. And there's kind of a consensus that it's it's because the ONI was kind of put on point when the Navy stood up and said, "Yes, these okay, these things had happened," and when the Navy uh, witnesses all came forward, radar guys, the pilots, then it was the Navy that everybody was looking to and saying, "Hey, Navy." You know, are these pilots right? You know, is this really going on? I want to be briefed about this. And so they were bringing these pilots and and other witnesses to brief everyone. So they kind of became the de facto point of contact for this. So that's why they were specifically called out in this this, uh, request to get UAP information. Well, you know, it's really interesting to me that took being on the California coast mm-hmm. and actually having video footage that was ultimately released mm-hmm. to get this out there because the the experience 
of a carrier group being stalked or watched or whatever term you want to use by UFO UAP is not new. It's mm-hmm. happened in the Atlantic. It's happened in the Indian Ocean. It's happened in varying areas across the world. And you know, the Roosevelt off the coast of well, the Atlantic coast, because obviously they were off several states. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, that's, that comes to mind. So right. this isn't a random experience. This is a common, fairly common occurrence that, mm-hmm. you know, I heard somebody, somebody actually told me, oh, well, you know, th- it was during the whale migration and they were more interested in the whales than in the, you know, the naval exercises. And I'm like, really, you know that for a fact? Because they're yeah. very interested in other naval exercises. <laughs> so I would, mm-hmm. I'd be surprised if it was just Spock here to look at the whales, you know. Yeah. Uh, and then more than, and all over the world. I mean, we have cases in Chile in mm-hmm. Peru, um, you know, where essentially military jets noticed something. Iran was a popular one that the U.S. government looked into where uh, objects are seen on radar, visually, jets are scrambled, they get there, the objects, uh, maybe there's a little bit of a cat and mouse, and then the objects take mm-hmm. out off in incredible speeds. Blue Book is full of these. Nineteen fifty two got into the news where in Washington DC people are like, Why haven't they landed on the, the, the White House lawn? Well they buzzed the White House and, and uh recently. National at the time it was <laughs> they called They buzzed the White House recently. Well well at it was called the National Airport uh in nineteen fifty two, but you know, Project Blue Book personnel took over the control tower because there were lots of sightings. And they mm-hmm. witnessed these sightings, and this is well documented uh, in the records. So, yeah, like you said, this has been happening uh, all over the world, on the ground, overseas. Um, so it is a fairly common thing. And, and so, yeah, it's it's not just one incident, that's for sure. And that's what's exciting is that hopefully we will get insight into many more incidents uh Unidentified, the second season is going to be coming out July 11th. So that'll be exciting. Hopefully we'll see like the first season, some of the background on these inner workings of them, you know, getting into and talking to these uh, legislators and and military leaders. um, And also bring about, you know, highlight some more of these great cases like they did last season, which I believe they will. So regardless of the television show, then there's also this report. Now, the report does not have to be uh, completed. It has to be completed by March of 2021. It could be completed earlier. That would be kind of surprising. But um, and the bill still has to pass the House and it still has to pass the Senate. It's passed through the committee, but it has to pass through the Senate, through the House, and then the president has to sign off. But fortunately, what I'm hearing is there's not a lot of pushback and that they're really, it would be uh, unlikely that they would remove this from the bill because it's, it's not like it's asking for a bunch of money or anything. Um, so hopefully it will survive and um, yeah, predictions are at will. So that'll be an incredibly interesting report. I mean, I, I think many imagine. people will say, I can't imagine reaction when that does come out 
because, you know, it's been so downplayed and everyone who has come forward has had to go through just, just trial by fire on -hmm. this. You know, you've, you've seen families split apart. You've seen people lose their jobs. You've seen, you know, very harsh reactions because people have been told all their lives this isn't real. These people are crazy. This is whatever. You know, it's just kind of so frustrating for them. Yeah. Believe it or not, we're at the top of the hour. So yeah. this is going to be our long break. This is a good time if you um don't necessarily want to hear the news, although I'm always hopeful there's going to be something good, right? We're looking for good. We're trying to, to bring about that. So... This is a good time to fill your stein or your cup or your mug and be back with us. We will go and see if we can find a little good news in the world and join you back after that. Support for NPR and the following message come from DuckDuckGo, the internet privacy company committed to raising the standard of trust online. With one download, you can search and browse privately, avoiding trackers. DuckDuckGo, privacy simplified. Live from NPR News, I'm Janine Herbst. The number of coronavirus cases worldwide now tops 10 million, with more than a half million deaths. And in the U.S., the number of new cases is surging to record levels, particularly across the South and West. As NPR's Joel Rose reports, that has forced some governors to reverse course on their reopening plans. Texas Governor Greg Abbott acknowledged that there has been a rapid rise in the number of coronavirus cases and hospitalizations since the state began reopening. COVID-19 has taken a very swift and very dangerous turn in Texas over just the past few weeks. Abbott held a press conference alongside Vice President Mike Pence, who urged Texans to follow the guidance of local health officials and wear face coverings in public. Wearing a mask is just a good idea, uh, and it will slow the spread of the coronavirus. Abbott ordered bars in Texas to shut down again. The governors of Florida and California also ordered some bars to close in response to climbing case numbers. Joel Rose, NPR News. President Trump retweeted a video today that included a supporter pumping his fist and shouting white power. It's since been taken off his Twitter account. And here's Mara Lyason reports the White House claims Trump didn't hear the remark. The president tweeted, thank you to the people of the villages, a retirement community in Florida where lots of seniors support Trump. He attached a video showing pro-Trump and anti-Trump seniors screaming at each other, including a guy in a golf cart yelling white power. The White House said the president didn't hear the white power. Our statement, HHS Secretary Alex Azar told CNN that the president would not do anything that supports white supremacy. Senator Tim Scott, the only African-American Republican in the Senate, said the tweet was indefensible. And after several hours, the tweet... With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? 
In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Tweet was deleted. Mara Liason, NPR News. Lawmakers in Mississippi have voted to remove the controversial Confederate emblem from the state flag. Earlier this afternoon, the state House applauded as it voted 91 to 23 in favor of replacing the emblem. Mississippi State House Speaker Philip Gunn says no one came upon this decision easily. That conflict has arisen with many of them and that they know it is the best thing for our state to rebrand ourselves to create a new new symbol that represents us. The flag design with the emblem has been around for 126 years. Shootings in Chicago this weekend have left 10 people, including three children, dead. One, a 10-year-old girl, was killed after a stray bullet came through her apartment window and hit her in the head. And a 1-year-old boy was killed, his mom injured, after a gunman opened fire on their vehicle. Police Chief Fred Waller is asking people of Chicago to do more to fight crime. When is this going to stop? When when are we going to say enough is enough? Mayor Lori Lightfoot says she's tired of burying children, tweeting the pain of losing a child never goes away. This is NPR. The southern African country of Malawi has a new president. NPR's Ada Peralta reports today's inauguration was historic. Lazarus Chakwera was declared the winner last night, and this morning he was sworn in in front of thousands. Chakwera promised a new Malawi with a new style of government. A government that listens, not a government that shouts. A government that fights for you and not against you. Chakwera actually lost the presidential election about a year ago, but Malawi's top court found too many irregularities and threw out the results. A new election was held this month, and Chakwera became the first African opposition leader to win a rerun election. Ada Pralta, NPR News, Nairobi. Cities around the world would be holding LGBTQ pride parades today if it weren't for the coronavirus pandemic. Hundreds are canceled. But in New York City, while performances were virtual, thousands still gathered to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the first Pride March with a salute to frontline workers in the coronavirus pandemic. Another exception, Taiwan. Lauren Koos is a U.S. student there. I've come to Pride every year that I've been in Taiwan now, and I think this year is really special because I know that the rest of the world, Pride has been canceled because of the epidemic. Taiwan is the only place in Asia where same-sex marriage is legal, and its liberal political system has long promoted human rights, free speech, and also freedom of assembly. I'm Janine Herbst, and you're listening to NPR News. Welcome back to WBHM Digital Broadcasting out of Birmingham, Alabama. The time is five minutes after the hour. Welcome back to the second hour of Fate Mag Radio here on WBHM Digital Broadcasting out of Birmingham, Alabama. I'm Kat Hobson. I'm your host, and I am so excited to be. We have, for all the years that I have been following this radio, um, we've never had t-shirts. Well, Fate Magazine now has t-shirts. And trust me when I say, you're going to want one. Just because it's Fate, are you kidding? 
absolutely you want one and you can get them at fatemag.com that is the the home of fate magazine so just go and grab you one and if you're looking for new issues old issues we have a new edition out we have archives that you just wouldn't believe how far back some of those go phyllis does a great job of uh, curating that i actually had a guest who had submitted did not know that she was printed i went and asked editor and she said well that art that story was printed so she sent it was cheryl costa and she sent cheryl two copies of the fate magazine that she was in you just never know but if you're subscribing that's great you've got a new edition either on the way or already there and if you're not subscribing why not or if you've let it lapse i mean it's still rolling so go and check that out so <laughs> we already have in the chat room oh i need a fake mag t-shirt so go get it and our guest tonight is alejandro rojas we have been talking all kinds of things we've left on the note with the um the ssci the the addendum to this bill that's included actually in the bill by Marco Rubio wanting to get a full unclassified report on all things you know, UFO, UAP, anomalous research that's been done and by all these agencies. And they actually, Alejandro, listed the agencies and right. then included and anyone else that might have information mm -hmm. just in case they and had had it stuck somewhere else yeah and the fbi aspect i should guess i i, I hinted i was going to address that yes. uh here's what chris mellon's take was on that it was that the fbi so if for instance someone flew a drone in yeah. restricted airspace uh their own drone the fbi would be called in because that would be their jurisdiction to essentially investigate that. Um, so that's their role in the UAP research is that if a UAP is suspected to be, you know, owned by a U.S. citizen, then the FBI is involved with the investigation. So that's why they were involved. And there have been cases, um, for instance, in Colorado, where objects were seen uh, believed mm -hmm. to be drones. And so the FBI would get involved. But, uh, of course, they may not be drones. Sometimes these things aren't. So uh, that's kind of the FBI's role in this whole thing. Well, I am interested in seeing what what is coming up for this. And we've got about three or four questions. And I am going to... This actually goes back to your personal experiences. Have you ever had any strange UFO sightings or encounters personally? I have. So it was years after I was investigating this and I was even already had been a field investigator. Um, and I, I would often, you know, most of my life, actually, there were some periods of time, like during college, I think I didn't uh, do this yearly camp out uh, at the Great Sand Dunes in the San Luis Valley. It's just gorgeous. It's one of my favorite places. So when I lived in Colorado, I'd go out there often. Well, one year, 
you know, I discovered there's something called a UFO watchtower out there. So uh, my buddy and I think his girlfriend and my sister and I uh, went camping and we went to the UFO watchtower. And uh, our idea, of course, was to look for UFOs and kind of get a gist of the place. And it's kind of this domed uh, shop with the alien and UFO paraphernalia in there with like this this observation catwalk that was built about 10 feet off the ground, a large kind of uh, observation area. But we were outside of the shop and I just, uh, I, you know, instantly hit it off with the, the owner of the place. Really, really cool person. And we were just talking and talking and I heard my sister outside, which is what we were supposed to be doing, right? Looking for objects. And she says, um, I, I think I see a satellite, but I could tell in her voice, that's not what she thought it was. So I do, I go outside at the, we were to, on the west side of uh, some mountains, the Sangre de Cristos, actually where she is. If you look directly east, you see the sand dunes and then the Sangre de Cristo mountains behind that. Mm-hmm. And there was an object coming from the um, from the north, headed south, and it was very bright. But it was above about thirty degrees above the the mountain, so it wasn't where it should be, you know, straight up in the dark dark area of the sky. And it's moving very smoothly across the sky, and then when it gets directly east of us, about over the sand dunes, it starts to fade and fade out but it was it wasn't a steady fade uh people some people thought it was blinking others said they thought it started moving jerkily and then uh somebody with actual binoculars on it saw that it moved and it went downward uh at that point so that was really strange so we're really excited about this and this was at dusk it was not completely dark and so we're talking and we're excited. We're talking about the whole thing. Um, you know, within 20, 30 minutes, it was completely dark out. And then we noticed a couple satellites. But this was weird, too, because there was a satellite to the northwest of us. And there was one to the southwest at about the same distance. And they were both moving towards our direction. And they crossed right above where our sighting was. Oh, wow. So really, really strange. And I call them satellites because they were just a point of light moving steadily across the night sky. And um, and so I couldn't say they're, they're for sure they're anything more than that. They didn't move in any strange way like the first object. But uh, yeah, that was a really strange one. That was, I think, my first. Um, I've had a couple others. You know, typically they're light in the sky type of things. One of the other strange was I had a, a friend who, well, she was a UFO witness, but she, she became a friend and she actually became a field investigator. But when she came in, she was, as a witness, she said, I often see white balls of light moving very strangely. And I was kind of like, yeah, we hear that, but it's often balloons or birds, you know, they turn out to be something else. Um, so I was like, okay, you know, but then we hit it up. We started talking and everything. And then she invited me, why don't you come to my house and, you know, we'll, uh, see if we see something. So I go to the house and, and 
she wanted to talk and stuff. And I was like, well, aren't we supposed to be looking at this guy? And she's like, well, I kind of wait till I get a feeling. And I was like, okay. Because I'm used to, you know, like, should you be out in the sky watching for hours like we do at the Watchtower or something <laughs> yeah. to, to spot something? But she's like, no, I usually wait. So uh, then we, she's like, I think we should go outside now. So we go outside. And sure enough, within a short period of time, there's this white light often in the distance. And it kind of, it's sitting there by itself. Then it moves down a little bit, disappears. Then it kind of, it or another one reappears in another area, sitting still, moves, and then disappears. And there are about two or three of these. And so that was another really odd one uh, I can never explain. And she had about five or six videos of, of these things doing similar things. So she did feel that she was an experiencer. And um, that, uh, yeah, we became really good friends, um, actually. So well, that was an interesting one. That yeah, is. I guess there's only one other that I guess is of note. There were maybe a couple others that were light in the sky, but there was, this was a really cool one. So um, I lived in Arizona up until recently for about 10 or 11 years. That's where openminds.tv, which I wrote for and ran um, and still write for and run uh, was headquartered. Um, unfortunately, the website openminds.tv is down right now. So you have to go to Alejandro T. Rojas.com if you want to get my info. But, we were, uh, they often will hold night sky watches at the, the Phoenix move on the Arizona move on mm -hmm. meetings and a great group there. I'm great friends with the, the state director there, Stacy Wright, great bunch of people. They've got a magnificent chief investigator, but they brought in these Navajo Rangers and we've had them at the UFO Congress before. And now they've been on a lot of television shows too, but these are Rangers who essentially are in charge of the law enforcement on the Navajo um, of the Navajo Nation, which is huge. That is of course, huge. it goes across several states. It's humongous. Um, but these guys take paranormal reports seriously. They roll on them. If somebody says, "Hey, you know," calls them up and says they have some, they'll they'll go out there and investigate. And so they've had these interesting cases. But they uh, did a talk at uh, Arizona MUFON, and that night we went out and did a sky watch, and they brought their night vision binoculars. So I was looking at the sky with the binoculars, and so was uh, somebody. I, I didn't know who else had them. But anyway, I'm looking up in the sky, and I see these five objects, these five points of light, and they're all steadily moving away from each other. They were all close, and they start moving away from each other. So I go, is anybody else watching this? Who else has the goggles? And John Dover, one of the rangers, says, I got him. I'm watching it. So he And I look, and he's looking at the same thing I am. So we watch as these five objects just keep moving. They slowly move in a steady pace, all in different directions, until they, they just move, 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 until they're out of view. So how freaking weird is that, though? They were all clustered in one area when I spotted them, and then they moved all separately, all their different directions, until they were gone. So that well, was another one that I thought was really That is very strange. Weird. Mm-hmm. Well, 
The other question is, what areas of the U.S. do you believe are hot spots for sightings? Is there a particular yeah. area other than there in the Colorado desert that you see things? Or what seems to be the going going place? Now, I, I used to do yearly, I would take the MUFON um, information when I was a field investigator, I had more access to the information, but still I'm a subscriber, so I do get enough to compile reports. And I haven't done this for the last year, um, but at OpenMinds.tv, every year I would do, uh, usually in January, kind of a review of the sightings for the year. Crunch the numbers, put them into a spreadsheet, um, do some pivot tables, and figure out not just where the number of sightings are the highest, because that can be a little tricky. Mm -hmm. um, of course, the media often runs with that, but there's definitely a correlation with population. The more people you have, the more sightings you're going to have in that area. So I find more interesting where I couple that with population. So I do it per capita, um, you know, how many sightings per person. So where are there more sightings? Um, and I think that's where you're going to truly find the hot spots. And definitely the Southwest. Uh, interestingly enough, the states that I've lived in, Colorado, Arizona, I haven't lived in New Mexico. My mom did. But New Mexico, uh, California, these are some of the, well, not even so much California, but more um, Colorado, Arizona, even Nevada, kind of the bigger areas, those areas. So why? Why in the Southwest? I think it's mostly because the weather is better in many of these places. Really, you're going to have more people outside looking at the sky uh, is one of the reasons. Another could be that there's more military bases in the deserts in the southwest, um, big ones, and uh, where they're doing different things. But it could also be that there's just more sightings in these areas. Uh, it, it's hard to say. But at least in the last time I did this, there was another anomaly where Mississippi was a little bit higher than, than other states. And um, so that was kind of interesting. And then sometimes Oregon, the Oregon areas uh, got higher numbers than other states. And I, and it's kind of interesting because we've always heard over the years from Argonians that they're like, oh yeah, we know that there's lots of UFO sightings up here. So uh, it seems to be that there's a thing out there where they, they feel they have a lot of UFO sightings, and sometimes the numbers agree with that. Uh, so that's kind of interesting, too. I had no clue about Oregon. Yeah. <laughs> I really intrinsically had no clue that they would even be in that mix, but that's interesting. Everything else I, I kind of had heard. I understand that a lot of the Mesa areas in New Mexico get a lot of activity as well, but that could be mm -hmm. spiritual as well as UFO. Mm -hmm. Either way, it's still unidentified, and it's actually pretty interesting. Right, that for sure. We will be right back after this break. You are listening to WBHM Digital Broadcasting, Birmingham, Alabama. Come on. 
I'm Southern, but... Um, nope. That'll do. Hello, I am Kat Hobson, host of Paranormal Experience here on WBHM Digital Broadcasting out of Birmingham, Alabama. I enjoy having guests from all areas of the paranormal, from ghosts to ufology to cryptids and beyond. You'll find some of the best researchers in their fields bringing you some great information. Join me on Wednesday nights from 8 to 10 p. Eastern here on WBHM Digital Broadcasting. You are listening to WPHM Digital Broadcasting. The best in paranormal talk radio. Listening to WBHM Digital Broadcasting, the best in paranormal talk, only on Paranormal Experienced Radio, broadcasting live out of Birmingham, Alabama. Since 1948, Fate Magazine has brought you reports of the strange and unknown, all of them true. Fate Radio is carrying on that tradition, bringing you the unusual, macabre, strange, and bizarre. Join host Cat Hops Sunday nights from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on WBHM Digital Broadcasting. You're listening to WBHM Digital Broadcasting. The best in paranormal talk, only on Paranormal Experience Radio, broadcasting live out of Birmingham, Alabama. The time is 23 minutes after the hour. Or UAP. You know, I am, I am just actually fascinated because I love this next question. It is, are there actually men in black? Or was that all just Hollywood movie hype? And I'm going to tell you that I actually happened across, I thought I was reading a Nick Redfern book, and it turned out to be Gray Parker. And I, I had the book, and I'm sitting, this is very similar to one of Nick's titles, and I had been looking for that book. And so I'm reading this book, and I'm thinking, well, where is Nick? <laughs> I mean, there's nothing Nickish in this book. I was exposed to um, a very early investigator experiencing men in black phenomenon um, by mistake. So I'm curious, what is your take on that? Yeah, I would say I have not ran across it personally, and nor have I had any real strong, substantial uh, confirmation of such a situation. However, um, and you mentioned, you know, Gray, Gray Barker actually is the first guy to really write about this, but he was a trickster. He was would he? Okay. sometimes fabricate stuff and trick people. And so certainly a lot of what he's written has been called into question 
Nick Redfern's not like that. Nick Redfern's a great researcher. Yes, so I would is. recommend the Nick Redfern books <laughs> over. I would too, because uh, I wound up reading it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> He thought it was funny, but thank yeah. goodness. But however, I have talked to quite a few people who have had experiences. And these are people that uh, I find trustworthy. Um, Ken center is a gentleman I can think of. I think he's in North Carolina. He uh, was a MUFON uh, member researcher, I think it may have been state director at the time, but he says he uh, had some guys come in in one particular case and they asked about it and they looked really weird and they had a weird aura about them. They made him feel strange and they actually elicited strong emotional reaction from him where they kind of said, Hey, you're not going to look into this anymore. And he said, yeah, right. And you know, he, he let him have it, and he said he felt kind of fearful. So oh my. Uh, his reaction was to be very, you know, to kind of threaten him, get the hell out of here, because he was he was afraid of him. So uh, he did kick him out, and they left. But uh, and then I, you know, Dan Aykroyd had claims to have an incident. Kids uh, is kind of interesting. So he says he was talking, he was going to do a new show about UFOs. And uh, and it might have been, you know, restarting sightings. I think it might have been. But uh, he is on a set. I think he said he was talking to Britney Spears on the phone. And, oh, and he was on the set where they're start, starting to do the sighting show. And he was like, talk, he went outside to talk to, I think it was Britney Spears. And he noticed across the street this really old car, this old black I think he said it was a Ford car and he thought it was interesting. And then he saw these typical men in black type of guys there. And he thought, what the heck? And it was just for a split second. He goes back in the building and they said, you know what? Sorry, Dan, the, the show's canceled. Oh, my word. So he believes that's his own personal men in black story. So I don't know. I've heard a couple stories that seem credible. Who or what these might be. Some people, of course, do believe. That they're unworldly, like these things are, these people are, are not from here. And others believe maybe they are some kind of uh, government agency getting in the mix. Um, yes. Certainly the whole thing could have been spawned from, you know, FBI investigations into UFO reports. Uh, there were some of those, you know, throughout history, um, especially in kind of the dawn of the UFO age, there were... Um, so, for instance, some of you might be familiar with Frank Scully, the namesake of Dana Scully and the X-Files, but uh, he wrote one of the first UFO books. And mostly it was a fraudster who had given him information, and the FBI was investigating that guy. So there have been times. So it's hard to say. I don't have a real definitive I, – I, as Stanton Friedman would have said, that that issue's still in my gray basket. I don't have enough there you to go. <laughs> really determine either way. Yes. Do you believe that UFO sightings have anything to do with fault lines? This is a new theory that's actually been researched yeah. and something else was found to be the causation. But what's your take on I that? Well, you know, there is a the theory, and it is theoretical ball lightning. It's something that can be created in a lab, but hasn't been, I don't think there have been cases of it being witnessed in nature where, you know, fault line could cause a ball of 
plasma to, to float around kind of like, you know, ball lightning is what they call it. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I think the problem is it's difficult to gauge those sort of things because we don't have enough hard data. We don't have enough, you know, to, to make those sort of correlations. We don't have the sort of investigation to be sure that, uh, you know, where are definite unknowns. Um, MUFON tries to do that. They're, they're a volunteer, you know, um, public organization. So it makes it difficult to, you know, really have consistency. And if you don't know for sure where the unknowns are, then it's hard to draw correlations. And so that's where I think that sort of thing is difficult and where those sort of things are anecdotal. So, for instance, moving Earth is another example uh, where there are big projects of Earth being moved is anecdotally someplace there are UFO sightings. Um, So much so that, uh, well, here's an interesting aspect. I'm going to a little bit of a tangent that comes back to it. But I think this is a really important aspect of the Pentagon UFO project. Uh, That project that the New York Times talked about was investigating military UFO cases. It was called ATIP, the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, ran by Luis Elizondo. However, it also talked about how this program had $20 million. Actually, that $20 million was put into place for a different program. It's, It's kind of the program that ATIP evolved out of. And this program was called OSAP, the Advanced Aerospace Weapons System um, Application Program. And this program was started by a DIA agent who had read the book about Skinwalker Ranch by um, George Knapp and Colm Kelleher. And maybe some of you, hopefully many of you are familiar with the ranch. If you aren't familiar with that book, you got to read it. It's also a documentary out by Jeremy Corbell. you got to see. But this ranch has gone into the past. Native Americans had legends about skinwalkers and really strange things happening there. And uh, people who have lived there had had strange things happening. So this millionaire who's interested in the paranormal bought the ranch, Robert Bigelow. Uh, We knew this. And there were investigations going on there for a long time. And then... uh, George Knapp wrote the book on this. Well, a DIA agent, Defense Intelligence Agency, read that book and he got a hold of Bigelow and said, I want to visit this place. It sounds interesting. Well, paranormal phenomena hadn't been recorded or experienced there for a long time. So they decided, okay, this should be fine. The guy comes to Skinwalker Ranch and instantly has an experience that he said was very personal um, and he is floored by it. I mean, I don't know. He's kind of shared where he saw this kind of uh, infinity symbol that I don't know if we have a full definition of what he saw. Because at first he didn't want to share that experience. Um, But he, after that experience, he went to Harry Reid, the senator who was uh, the minority, you know, house or the minority uh, um, leader. And he said, Senator... I know you know Bob Bigelow because he did. Bigelow and Harry Reid went back many, many years. They were friends. And it turns out Harry Reid had an interest in the paranormal and would come to the meetings and ask Bigelow, what are you guys up to these days? And so he would, Bigelow would tell him and they, would, they had, would talk paranormal. 
Well, the DIA agent said, hey, Harry Reid, you know, we have to investigate this. I know you know this is going on. The government needs to take a look at this. Harry Reid said, you know what? I think you're right. He looked for support. There were a couple of Republican colleagues, um, David Inoue from Hawaii, mm -hmm. and Ted, I think, Phillips um, from, no, Ted, I can't remember what, somewhere Kentucky or Montana. I think it was Montana. Um, Senator, they decided to do this, and they funded this. They got this $20 million to fund OSAP, which was to investigate all of the paranormal stuff going on at this ranch. So it included cattle mutilations, you know, orbs of light, UFOs, uh, weird creatures coming in and out of portals. And these are things that were witnessed by scientists investigating there and other people who had lived there. Um, you know, lots of poltergeist activity, lots of really weird stuff like this. And it, once the program started, very soon after, it got besieged on the inside. So this has to be mostly DIA people because not mm -hmm. a lot of people knew this project was going on. But they were religious. Uh, they were uh, mostly kind of evangelicals and others who thought this what was going on there was demonic. And they didn't oh, wow. want anything to do with it. So they actually were working to get the program closed. Well, the guys on the inside saw this. And so at some point, Harry Reid uh, and probably Robert Bigelow uh, decided, well, hopefully we, we want to keep at least some part of this. So hopefully they'll let the UFO part remain. We'll just have a, a portion. We'll call it ATIP and we'll just do military UFO investigations. Right. Uh, that's when Lou Elizondo came in and they said, we want you to head this part where you just investigate UFOs and military cases, because we think the rest is going to go away. We don't think we can keep it going. This, uh, you know, these religious kind of fundamental um, faction in the government is just not going to let this keep going. And so it was good they did it because they were right. The rest went away, and all that remained was the UFO portion of it. So that's the actual history of um, what they were getting into. And I was going to relate this. Oh, and one of the things that they did on the Skinwalker Ranch was they heard about earth moving. And so they would try earth moving. Now, I can't. And so they bring in big tractors to move earth to try to attract paranormal activity. I can't remember exactly if that worked. I seem to remember it did not. But um, right now I can't remember 100 percent. But, yeah, right. they, they tried the earth moving thing um, to see if that would work. I enjoy the new television show on the ranch. And mm. I have for years, when I very, very first started doing radio, I had someone reach out to me who had written numerous books on Skinwalker Ranch and lived in the area. So I just could not, I don't know, it just didn't feel right. I wasn't completely sold. So I've mm -hmm. always been a little skeptical because I had also heard that the the people who sold the ranch to Bigelow, the ones that disappeared and chained the doors from the outside, you know, to lock something in, whatever, had had experiences that they shared that there had not been anything known reported for years prior to 
them having those experiences. So there was some, some doubt, I think, about what they were bringing forward. But I'm going to tell you, I can understand being so ready to get out that you don't want anything following mm-hmm. you out. <laughs> right. Yeah, Whether it's I mean, um, ghost mm-hmm. hunting or, or ufology or open portals where things that you can't even fathom are coming. But I, I really am interested in it. I've been interested in it for, well, for decades, but mm-hmm. it's such yeah, the things that are reported there are so anomalous that it's just like there can't be this much stuff happening in one location. Well, there is a place in the southeast that is having that level of variation and experiences, too, and I had never heard of it. So I am reevaluating my take on that a bit. That yeah, because, I mean, it was a long odd. investigation. It was many years. And the way John Alexander, for example, this, this retired colonel the, who helped Bigelow start up these investigations, the way he puts it is, really, the incident, if you take it as far as how long the whole project went, it wasn't many per year or per month. So your odds of being able to go there and have an experience were pretty low. But, uh, you know, they piled up over the years. But also to your point, you know, the ranchers them wanting to leave supposedly kind of what broke the camel's back that the situation that was the worst, which is anybody would completely understand is that they were scared. They were really they wouldn't go out at night and they would see orbs of light at times. Well, there was a time they saw orbs of light and their dogs would bark at them, but their dogs got outside. They had three big dogs. Yes, and their dogs ran out into the night. Um, they heard a noise. They thought that maybe one of the dogs got hurt or something. But they were too afraid to go out at night. They wouldn't do that. And so they waited till the day. Well, they went out to look for their dogs. They couldn't find them. They said they found three, like, greasy black spots. And there they believe that those used to probably be their three dogs, that somehow they got zapped or something. And that was it. They were done. And that's when they wanted to leave. You know, that is just so, you know, if you just sit back and you listen to it, it's like, oh, well, that's just unbelievable. Well, Mm -hmm. I've heard a lot of people who had experiencers, um, experiences, personal ones, or, you know, animals that were not mutilated that just disappeared, or animals who appeared to be um, zapped for lack of a better word. And these are on different areas, different ranches in similar areas in that region. And it's like, this is just way too bizarre. What on Mm -hmm. earth would be the purpose other than trying to avoid being, you know, your presence being known or stuff? You know, it just blows my mind because I'm... I'm a secret softy, just like I'm a secret tech tech freak. But, <laughs> um, you know, we all have our passions that we follow, you know, on our own time. But I just couldn't fathom if that had happened to one of my animals, much less mm. all of them. I'd have been out the door. 
I wouldn't have been able to to cope with that, especially knowing that, you know, that could have been my child or or me if I could have gotten the courage to go and check on my dogs. That's not a good mm-hmm. feeling, I'm sure. Yeah, how terrifying. I mean, I was going to say I'm a big animal lover, but we all love our pets so much. Yes. But that would be such a traumatic experience. And fortunately, there weren't humans that were hurt. There were humans that were messed with and frightened, but none that were hurt. But there were certainly quite a few animals that seemed to be hurt. I mean, they have some very well-documented, strange animal killings, cattle mutilations that went undescribed. For Like they would go check on an animal. They would leave that animal, not even be that far away, and go back and it's animals eviscerated, just, yes. you know, torn apart. And uh, so in that sense, um, it seemed that they, they definitely felt that this, whatever it was, was messing with them, was trying to scare them. In fact, John Alexander kind of coined a phrase, which I thought was great. He called it a, um, a non Oh, I can't remember the term. I'm going to look it up. But kind of an intelligent, sentient um, force that it seemed to be intelligent and able to really mess with them. Yes. Yes. And, yeah, that's why I have always been just a little skeptical because I'm like, where would the fun be in that? If you were that being, and they had descriptions of so many different beings and experiences, Mm -hmm. I just can't even fathom. And I'm glad that that show is happening. I, I like the analytical take on it, and I really do think that the people that they have researching it are not prone to... You know, contrary to being on TV and doing all these things, prone to drama. That's almost funny to say that. But um, I think they've got some good researchers involved with that, I hope. I'd like to see some answers for that. Yeah, the new owner. Oh, here it is. Precognitive sentient phenomena is what he called it. Oh, because that was another aspect. Precognitive. It seemed to know what they were going to do before they did it. Essentially... Uh, the way that Colm Kelleher, the scientist, and the others have framed it to me in my interviews is that it out they were outsmarted. They were completely mm-hmm. outsmarted by whatever phenomena was going on there. And that's why uh, John Alexander came up with this phrase, which I love, precognitive sentient phenomena. Well, I think that's excellent, too. But we have to take our final break. Okay. So we will be back, and y'all come back, too. You are listening to WBHM Digital Broadcasting, the best in paranormal talk, only on Paranormal Experience Radio, broadcasting live out of Birmingham, Alabama. Oh, come on. I'm Southern, but... Um, nope. That'll do. Hello, 
I am Kat Hobson, host of Paranormal Experience here on WBHN Digital Broadcasting out of Birmingham, Alabama. I enjoy having guests from all areas of the paranormal, from ghosts to ufology to cryptids and beyond. You'll find some of the best researchers in their fields bringing you some great information. Join me on Wednesday nights from 8 to 10 p. Eastern here on WBHM Digital Broadcasting. Since 1948, Faith Magazine has brought you reports of the strange and unknown, all of them true. Faith Radio is carrying on that tradition, bringing you the unusual, macabre, strange, and bizarre. Join host Cat Hops Sunday nights from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on WBHM Digital Broadcasting. Listening to WBHM Digital Broadcasting, the best in paranormal talk, only on Paranormal Experienced Radio, broadcasting live out of Birmingham, Alabama. Welcome back to Fate Mag Radio. I am Kat Hobson, your host here on WBHM Digital Broadcasting out of Birmingham, Alabama. We are into our final 15 minutes, and Alejandro, I have so many other things to talk to you about. I have a full note page that we haven't hit yet, but we'll have to do that the next time because I know Sherry's going to have some more questions for you and probably Denise too. But before Mm -hmm. we go any further, I really would like it if you could go ahead and let people know how to find you and to find your shows so that we don't run out of time at the end. All right, great. I mean, if you Googled Alejandro Rojas at all, and especially if you add UFO, you'll find me, but Alejandro T. Rojas is my website. Normally, I'm also at openminds.tv, but unfortunately, it's down, and I should have that fixed soon. And then also, the UFO Congress. This is really exciting because, uh, unfortunately, because of the pandemic, we really can't have a physical meeting uh, in Arizona where it's typically held especially with the news coming out of Arizona right now. However, we are going to do an online meeting. And if you go to ufocongress.com, you can see my the, my, the beautiful love of my life, Karen, uh, in a video kind of describing what we'll be doing. And I'm excited about it because she found a great tool that really allows you to kind of um, mirror that community that is so important. Because I think that's what's great about the UFO Congress is you know, it's a little longer than other conferences, so you have time to really meet and mingle with not just speakers and researchers, but also other colleagues and friends and, and meet other people that are interested in the topic. Typically, we fill up an entire hotel, so the hotel, whole hotel are UFOers, yes. you know. Um, and so that's really, really nice. And this tool is going to allow people to do their own chat rooms, their own face-to-face video chat rooms. Um, and, you know, do the same thing with, with speakers and, and vendors on the side. So I, I think it's the best solution possible for, for these kind of tough situations. And we're going to have, you know, once again, um, the people we've been trying to, we've been planning to work with some really, really great presentations. And we have a few listed there at UFO Congress right now, but yeah, people can check that out. So UFO Congress.com and Alejandro T. Rojas.com. 
Well, I am going to vouch for the International UFO Congress. It was a fantastic experience. Thank you so much. It was it was so well attended by people that were obviously so excited to be there. Mm-hmm. You know, the at the dinner when you know you did the awards presentations and such, people were just agog. I sat with um I sat with a lot of people I didn't know and in the Parkers and the um just loads of people that I got an opportunity to talk with and it was fun. Afterwards, you know, everybody was just kind of hanging out and chatting and having more fun out in the lobby area. The the awards were fun. I I find it funny and really charming that you can't possibly give George Knapp the you know, person <laughs> of the year award because he's just not going to take it. So. Yeah. <laughs> There's, and he there's is a two people. Researcher. He is. He's he's wonderful. I mean, he's he's an integral part of all this information coming out as well um, yes, he is. in the recent world. And there's another person who would not let us give us an award, and that's Luis Elizondo. Mm-hmm. Um, he was also, you know, kind of. He's a very humble person. He's like, no, no, no. There's people who have been doing this stuff for years. I want them. I want you guys to focus on them. You know. Um, so, so that's what we do, but yeah, he, nor George, George has tons of awards and luckily we're on good terms. I talked to him on a regular basis and he said he was deathly embarrassed by every single one of them because he's just a very humble person. He hates receiving awards, um, but he deserves them because he does incredible work and, uh, and to have someone at his caliber focused on and interested in the topics that we're interested in is, is you know, we're very lucky to have him. So one day, hopefully we'll be able to, Oh no, we tricked him. That's right. Last year we tricked him. (laughs) And he even told me, uh, you know, that I wouldn't have showed up to that dinner if I knew you were going to do that. And I said, yep, that's why we did this. We had to trick him to give him the award. (laughs) You know, I think that's brilliant. I, I really admire him. There's so many people in this field that do a lot of, really excellent work Mm -hmm. yourself included in that thank you i just i learned so much when i had the opportunity to talk to someone like you who has been reporting in this field for quite some time and you know follow up with him with his work i he's a source you know he's Mm -hmm. a source when i'm doing research and somebody i admire a lot too but, you know, there's so many, yeah. and you've had a chance to know so many. Who... And Fate Magazine. Yes. I mean, it's been so important over the years, and I've been fortunate enough to at least write one story. I think I've had maybe, I can't even remember, because I just I think write you've so had many. And I I've known Phyllis for many, many years. She's wonderful. And, uh, yeah, I, I think I've had more like two or three, but um, it's always a pleasure. And uh, fate is such an important resource and has been for so long also. Well, I'm very honored to be part of it. You know, I I had started my own network, moved my shows here basically to have a place to broadcast my shows. And some other people left their networks and came too. So that's pretty neat. 
I have mm-hmm. learned as I've gone because I was not a technical person at all to begin with. Some would say I'm still not, but I have a heck of a time <laughs> and I give it 110%. So mm-hmm. sometimes it works better than others. But to be able to be the, the host of this, she approached me because when our other network went defunct, I asked if you know, she wanted to you know, just run ads or whatever, do them free, just do whatever to promote fate since she had lost her host. And she called me one afternoon and asked if I wanted to do this. Mm-hmm. And I said, wow, <laughs> I don't even know what to say. Yes, <laughs> duh. But she's a brilliant person. She's a kind and generous and good person who does well, a jam-up and- job for someone who got kind of thrown in the river <laughs> with with the things that she had going on mm. and has found you know, her way back. She's she's brilliant. So Well, I think she's chosen wisely because you do a great job. Oh, thank you. That means a lot coming from you. I I've appreciate it. Wonderful time. The energy of the show is so so positive and nice. Um, yeah, she's, she's, she did a good job. She knows what she's doing. Thank you. Well, you know, I am, I am very honored to be able to be here. So, and I'm honored you were here too. This has been fun. We yes, have one more I've question for you. Time. Oh, okay. <laughs> and this is from April. He says, do you know of any UFO sightings from sailors and people out at sea? Oh, yes. Many, many. Uh, Yeah, so lots of really interesting ones. Of course, there's the more recent, but, um, you know, do I have time to share it? Share one? You do. You have six minutes to do with this. Oh, okay. So this is great. Uh, His name is Franklin Carter. And uh, just another wonderful, wonderful person. Um, lived in Cheyenne, Wyoming. However, when I was with Colorado Mufani, he would come to our meetings occasionally. And uh, he was friends with Dr. Leo Sprinkle. And Dr. Sprinkle, who's really, you know, um, an older gentleman at this point, he worked as a uh, professor in charge of the psychology department at the University of Wyoming out there. And he would do these conferences because he began doing investigations um, with the Anomalous Phenomena Research Organization, APRO, and uh, he was one of the first, you know, serious psychologists to look into uh, the abduction phenomena, and just a wonderful, wonderful person, and so was Franklin. So Franklin worked with Leo, and he actually started running Leo's conference that he would do out there about this topic, but uh, I became great friends with Franklin, and uh, he had this story, how he got involved and interested in all of this. He was a, a Navy guy working on a radar boat, a boat, you know, that, that they did more things. But uh, radar was a big thing because he worked on the dew line. And this was a line where they would get as close as they could to Russia. We'd have a bunch of ships and they would monitor everything the Russians are doing and uh, kind of to make sure that, you know, they're not sending any bad stuff our way and probably to be a little sneaky and getting hint on what they're up to. But uh, they got this new radar system that could see further than ever. And, you know, in every direction, including up. 
Well, they would get these anomalous objects on radar quite a bit, and they would say, Carter, what's wrong with this system? Come check it out, because he was the engineer for the radar system. So he would come, do the analysis, check, you know, diagnostic, make sure everything's working properly. Um, but it would keep happening, and they called him Carter's contacts. So they'd be like, Carter, we got another Carter contact, so come check this out. And they would have to, because it was protocol, make sure that the machine's working properly. And every time it would, and they were following proper protocol, going by the books, they would report this up. Um, eventually, you know, the experts came on from the corporation that built it. They checked it. Everything checked out fine. And eventually the solution was dial the radar back so it didn't go so far in the sky. Um, and that solved the problem. But Carter was like, you know, or Franklin was eventually asked his colleagues, he's like, don't you get these things, these radar contacts? It's like, I'm the only one talking about them. And they would say, yeah, we get them, but we don't tell anybody about it because we don't want to get in trouble or go through a bunch of hacks. So we just don't report it. And uh, that was his experience, which has always kind of resonated with me. And, and it's very, very similar to many, many other reports. So, for example, uh, there's a great report that George Knapp got out, got leaked, and it's a, a summary of the uh, 2005 Nimitz incident. And uh, Lou Elizondo has told me that this is a military document written for the military. So he confirmed it was a real document. And in this document, it showed when the pilots got back to the aircraft carrier, they faced a lot of ridicule. In fact, some of the CIC agents, the ones who debriefed them, who are supposed to debrief and get their information and send it up, were wearing uh, tinfoil hats. Oh, my gosh. And some of these guys were really upset about it. From what I've been told, and I cannot confirm this, but the uh, video from the 2005 incident was leaked in 2007 on the Internet. Nobody's for sure who that was, or at least it isn't public. But I've heard through contacts that some people do know who it was. And mm -hmm. this person kind of even expressed this. They were so upset with being ridiculed that they were like, look, this was real. We shouldn't be making fun of this. Um and that's why they released the video to show that this was a real incident that really happened and they were, did not appreciate the, the ridicule. And because of that ridicule, many people don't report. Um, it's kind of like the beginning of Close Encounters when yes. they show these guys in the control tower and there's uh, the pilots have this sighting and they're tracking it on radar. And it's a great moment. I think it's so Spielberg's an absolute genius. And you know, they ask at the end of the encounter, well, do you guys want to report this? And there's this pause and one of the pilots comes back, you know, the commercial airline that saw this and says, you know what? I don't know what I'd report. And uh, so it, it's kind of the feeling. This is kind of what do we do with it? And often that gets that's the case. People are just like, I know what we do with it. Nothing because it's too weird. I don't want the ridicule. I don't want to draw attention to myself like this. So. Let's just ignore it ever happened. Wow. Well, we are just about out of time. Yes or no? Really quick. Did Spielberg get that script handed to him? No. To make that no, there's, movie? A, there's, a, there's definitely a history. Um, you know, he was a big fan of J. Allen Hynek. I do, a, I do a lecture on Spielberg and UFOs. And in fact, I'm going to be doing it online. If you go to Open Minds 
TV YouTube page where I post a bunch of stuff. Uh, you'll see up there for Phoenix MUFON I'm going to be doing because they're, you know, things are closed down. So they're trying to do these online guests. And so I'm going to do a presentation for them on Spielberg and UFOs. And I talk about a lot of, now there are some other mysteries related to Spielberg that we will talk about. But uh, in this instance, he wrote that story and he was uh, because he had a genuine interest. And I have some really great, rarely seen videos of him talking about some of this that uh, I'll be showing in that presentation. What is the date of that presentation? Do you know off the cuff? July 14th. I just remembered. So July 14th. In fact, it's not up on my YouTube yet. It's we. Their next one, which is on July 3rd, which is Shane Hurd, uh, one of their field investigators and a great guy. I've known him for years. He just recently wrote what kind of a beginner's guide to doing UFO research. And uh, we'll be talking to him on July 3rd. Awesome um, sauce. That's going to be otherwise, great. Otherwise, I'll be interviewing Tyler Rogaway. He's a defense writer who, you know, has been working on defense articles about jets and everything for years. He's been focusing on UFOs, especially since this, the revelations in 2017. And it's great to talk to him because he's getting some great stories out there regarding incredible cases like this Spielberg one we just talked about. But he also is talking about how never in his career has he had a hard time getting information from uh, a military press agency like he's been having problems with the DOD regarding this case. That's one of the things that I'll be focusing on in a new analysis that I'm going to be writing is how the DOD has really been acting so weird and um, been essentially defaming Lou Elizondo and giving us misinformation, wrong information regarding everything that's been happening. Mm -hmm. They were very unkind to him and still are. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for your time being here. I have enjoyed this conversation. I knew I would appreciate you sharing so much well i've enjoyed as well thank you very much for having me this is a tough time for us as a country and people and pretty much globally and everybody is so full of angst and so fussy and that's kind of a weak word for it but i don't really want to to raise anxiety but i do want to say that you know it's totally possible to be the change that you want to see in the world you can you you know make eye contact or just smile of course nobody's going to know behind your mask but that's okay because you will and it'll show in your eyes and you can also just whatever it is that floats your boat whether you're meditating or praying or just be putting the positivity out that you would like to have coming back to you I know it's tough but we can do it you know, a lot of times I post Corey Smith's song, you know, Be the Change. So take care of you. Talk to you soon. Good night. <laughs>